The first instance in the Old Testament in the Bible period is where God gives a ram in place of a life, in place of a human life. And out of that experience, all mankind will be blessed. Well, hello, everybody. This is Pastor Mark A. Stroud. Thank you so much for joining me for another edition of Kingdom Rock Radio. Well, as you know, on Wednesday nights, we have been in a series entitled The L Word. It's all about love. And today is part number seven, and it is our concluding part. Boy, we've had a ride, and I pray that you have been blessed by the message of love and that you are experiencing the love of God poured out in your life in awesome measure. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. We had a great time today, and so I can't wait for you to hear it. Now, before we go there, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast. Check it out on your favorite podcast player. We're probably there. And if you have a Roku device, find our channel. Just look for Kingdom Rock TV right there on the Roku and you'll be marvelously blessed. For more details, just go to our website at www.kingdomrock.org. All right, without any further ado, here comes part number seven of the series entitled The L Word right here on Kingdom Rock Radio. Tonight, here again, this is part number seven of the series, The L Word, talking about love. And we want to subtitle this tonight, uh, 316 Love Road. 316 Love Road. Now, I don't know if that's somebody's address or not, but that's what I got. 316 Love Road. And if that is your address, online community, within, I'm telling you, you live in a blessed place. 316 Love Road. That's what we'll be talking about tonight. Of course, the 316 relates to John 316. So let's go back and look at that for a moment. No, before we go to that, before we go to John 316, let's go to uh, John the 14th chapter. This is so powerful as we talk about love tonight. We're going to be doing a lot of reading. Uh, so we'll have a reader help us read a little bit later on. So just be ready for that, okay? But let's go ahead and read John, the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 6. I'll read this out of the King James Version. And it says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. The Lord Jesus speaking, of course. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to prepare a place for you. Say, he's going to prepare a place for me. Now, you can say that boldly and with confidence. He has prepared a place for you. Hallelujah. Amen. He has prepared a place for me. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So this is a whole big love story. And we're going to talk tonight about uh, the love story or about love road. I want you to see tonight really and, and how the Lord has woven this word love all the way through scripture. He has woven his love 
all the way through scripture. And I pray tonight that as we're going over these scriptures, as you're hearing this, I pray that you would experience the presence of the Lord, that you'll experience the love of God as I did, because the word of God is also for me. Thank you, Lord, hallelujah. So I pray that you'll also uh, have that experience with him as well. So now let's go ahead and look at John 3, 16. John 3, 16, you know this, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now that's, that's something you really want to look at, that he gave his only begotten son, or we can also say his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life, but have everlasting life. Now, let me just read this to you, some things the Lord gave me earlier today. And as you hear this, I pray you will really just, just really get into your heart. This really gets into your heart. So listen to this. The love of God is unmerited and has no strings attached. He loves you because he is love. God is love. His love for you is never based on anything you do, whether it's good or bad. Because of that, he will never love you any less. And because his love for you is not dependent on what you've done, God will actually love you, not love you anymore. His love for you is perfect. It is fully mature right now. God's love is not like our love where we say, well, you grow in love over time. You know, I can say, I can say of my wife, I love her now more than I ever have. Husband and wives can say that you're in a relationship with someone, you can say that because love matures over time, right? But God's love is already fully mature. So if you hear this statement, he, he loves you as much now, the same type of love, the same amount of love now as he will love you with in eternity. Does that make sense? He'll, no, he'll never love you any more than he does right now. The same type of love that you'll have with him throughout eternity. This is that same type of love that he has for you at this very moment. You say, well, when I get there, I'm really going to experience the love of God. I really know he loves you. He loves me. That's that same love he has for you at this very moment. It can never grow and it can never diminish because it is perfect. It is fully mature. And that's just mind blowing to me. His love for you is already full, already mature, already perfect. You don't have to earn it, but you must all receive it. And because we are loved, we are called to love others as he has loved us. God's love is deep. God's love is sacrificial. And his love is also unmerited. That is, you don't have to earn it. He freely gives you his love, and you must receive his love as a gift. Are you hearing? Yes. Now, the world doesn't, the world um, won't be changed through our feelings of love, but the world will be changed by our infilling of love, and then as we outpour his love. Our love feelings, feelings like I feel love towards you, oh, that won't change the world, but when we are filled with his love, 
and then we outpour his love. That changes the world. Are you hearing me? So again, as we said before in the series, it's, it's, it's a lot more than just knowing about his love. You must experience it. You must, uh, you must glow with his love. When they look at you, they must see the love of God. Now, the true measure of a person, the true measure of a leader is not, we don't measure them by how much money they have or how big the building is or how uh, worldly successful they are or how successful they are in the world. The true measure of a leader is the love of God in their lives. So every leader should endeavor to exemplify the love of Jesus Christ. I hope that sounds familiar to you. Every leader should pattern their life after love. I'm telling you, it's just, this is powerful. Walking in love is a choice for all believers. It's a choice. You have to make the choice to walk in love. Now, when you walk in love, you're going to be pleasing to your father. Uh, rather, you're going to please your father, and you're also going to glorify him. Now, let me say this. You're already pleasing in the sight of God in that you are in Christ Jesus. But your love walk, your walk will be pleasing to him as you walk in love toward others. You have to endeavor to do that, to walk in, walk in love with everybody. And that's not something that's easy to do at times, but it can be done through God's spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about love uh, in the Bible. Let me show you how it, is, uh, how it is so beautifully woven in scripture. As we look, first of all, at the law of first mentions, the law of first mentions. The first time in the Bible uh, the word love is mentioned, and we'll look at this, is in Genesis, the 22nd chapter. And it is also mentioned uh, in the New Testament, also mentioned in the New Testament, and we'll look at this shortly, and it has the same type of theme. So let's go ahead and look at this. I want you to see how uh, love is interwoven uh, in the Word of God. So let's look at Genesis, the 22nd chapter. And now we're going to have our reader to help us out with this. Genesis, the 22nd chapter. And we're going to actually read uh, verses 1 through 18 of the New Living Translation. I want you to hear this, this account of Abraham and Isaac. So remember, it was read in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son or his only begotten son. So most of you already know this, Genesis, um, Genesis 22nd chapter. We're going to listen to how Abraham uh, is about to be tested with his one and only son. Now, again, this is the first mention of the word love. So listen to this as we read it at this time. Go ahead, reader. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. 
So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by his horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This, this is, is what, what the, the Lord, Lord says, says because, because you, you have, have obeyed me and have, have not withheld even your son, your, your only son. son. I, I swear, swear by, by my, my own name that, that I will certainly bless you. you. I will I multiply, multiply your descendants, descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Awesome. Great job, reader. So I want you to notice a few things here in Genesis, in Genesis 22nd chapter. First of all, notice in verse number two how God says, take your only son, your one and only son Isaac, and go ahead and offer him on Mount Moriah. Now, we know already that God did not need, the father did not need uh, Isaac's blood, Isaac's tainted blood, human blood, but the Lord needed or wanted Abraham's complete obedience. And because of that, Abraham gave the father agreement as to what he was going to do, the father was going to do in Christ so many years later, right? All right, now I want you to notice something in verse, also in verse number five, how Abraham told the servants, uh, you guys stay here for a minute, and I and the boy are going to travel a little bit further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. Now, remember, God just told him, told him earlier, go and sacrifice Isaac. The word sacrifice definitely means he's going to die. Go and put him to death, right? But Abraham told him, hey, he, we're going to go and we're going to come right back. So we see some of Abraham's thinking because, as a matter of fact, let's go to Hebrews 11 and let me show you some of Abraham's thinking here at this time in Hebrews 11 chapter. 
Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19, this is how it reads. And it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Now, this is powerful. Isn't that something? So the Bible also says that Abraham got up early in the morning to do this. Talk about a man of faith. Now, most of us maybe would have procrastinated a little bit. But Abraham got up early in the morning. Let's get to it. God said, do it. Let's go ahead and do it. Because he believed what God promised him. God told him, hey, it's through Isaac. I'm going to give you the generations through Isaac. In other words, Isaac is going to have a lot of children. So Abraham, if he is dead, how is he going to have children? He says, he says, put him to death. So I believe he's going to raise him up from the dead. So this is powerful. But I want you to see this last picture here. Uh, not only was Abraham a man of faith and God could use him, but look, Isaac was meant to die that day. He was meant to die. But instead, something else took his place. What took the place of Isaac? What does the Bible say? Right, it was the ram that was caught in the bush. It was the ram. So the ram died in Isaac's place. The ram died in Isaac's place. Now we do know that a ram is a fully matured sheep or fully matured lamb. So we can say a lamb died in Isaac's place. Isn't that wonderful? So Isaac representing, you know, man, representing man. But God takes Isaac out of the way and he puts his son there. And we're going to see this. He puts the ram, the ram representing Jesus Christ. He puts Jesus, in so many words, in Isaac's place. And then Abraham sacrifices the ram. The ram is sacrificed as a, as a burnt offering. Isn't that something? That's powerful, isn't it? So the whole case of Genesis, the first mention of love, is sacrificial. And it points to what God would do for humanity. How he would send his son, the ram, the lamb, to die for all humanity. And out of that sacrifice, all nations will be blessed. So that's very powerful. So let's look at this now in the, first, in the first instance in the New Testament where we see the word love. I wonder if we're going to see any similarities there. Let's see if we see any similarities. As a matter of fact, let, you will find the first instance in the New Testament in Matthew, the third chapter. Matthew, third chapter, verses 13 through 17 and this is where we find the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, verse 13 says, Then Jesus went from Galilee uh, to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, 
as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And verse 17, now here's the first mention of love in the New Testament. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. King King James says, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, right? Here's the first instance of love in the New Testament where Jesus is coming. Now you say, okay, let's make that a little bit clearer because let me show you this too, also in John the first chapter, verse 29, talks about the same instance, but we get a little bit more information here. I want you to see this, James the first, rather John the first chapter, verse 29. Let's read it. It says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So, around the first instance of love in the New Testament, Jesus is identified as the Lamb. Are you hearing? The one who would die a sacrificial death. The first instance in the Old Testament in the Bible period is where God gives a ram in place of a life, in place of a human life. And out of that experience, all mankind would be blessed. Can you see it weaving how the Lord is showing you how love is sacrificial and the great lengths he has gone to to show you his love? Isn't that awesome? Now, Jesus took our place. We're going to fast forward a bit so I can show you this even in greater detail. Let's go now to Matthew, the 27th chapter, Matthew 27. I'm going to read verses 16 through 26. This is when, of course, when the Lord's about to be crucified when the lamb's about to give his life. Now, as you notice in Genesis, the 22nd chapter, uh, when God called to Abraham through the, through the angel, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch, this, don't touch him, don't touch him. Abraham looked over and he saw a ram caught in a thicket. He saw a ram caught in a thicket. Now, we know that it's probably the antlers of the ram, right? His head caught in a thicket. Thicket, like uh, some sort of a brow bush or some type of uh, interwoven bush was stuck around his head. I wonder if anybody can uh, get that example, get that illustration of how they placed a crown of thorns on Jesus' head. You know, the bush upon his head, how that was caught upon him planted on him and how he couldn't get out of that moment. He is now the lamb that must die for the sins of humanity. Oh, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And so I want you to see this because this even breaks it down even clearer um, of how the lengths that the father has gone to, to show his love to you, to demonstrate his love for you and to you and to, and to save your life and eventually to bring you home with him. Jesus said again, wherever I am, hey, where I am, there you're going to be also. All right. So let's go ahead and read this. Matthew 27, verses 16 through 26. It says, and they had um, then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. All right. So we know this account. Barabbas, notable prisoner, 
uh, note, he has notoriety as a murderer. Everybody knew that this man was a murderer, was no good. This was a notable prisoner. Let's get that. Everybody knew. Well known. It's kind of like today, uh, it's on the news media, in the newspapers. Everybody knew that this man was a murderer and worthy of death. Not even up for discussion. This was a notable prisoner, someone worthy of death. Someone very, very guilty. Okay? All right. So having that in mind, it says in verse number one again, and they had um, then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Now the word Barabbas means son of the father, son of the father, son of the father. And who is mankind? Sons or offspring of the father. Are you hearing? We are all offspring of the father in creation. The father created us. We are his offspring. And have we been guilty? Absolutely. Are you hearing? Amen. Let's look at verse 17. Wherefore, when they were uh, gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For, we, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he had, or rather, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Now, she may not have spoken like that, but you understand what we're saying. She had a dream to tell her husband, Baby, don't have anything to do with Jesus. Because he's an innocent man. you imagine that? Here's the governor's wife. How often does she come to these proceedings to see this? She suffered in a dream, tormented in the dream to have nothing to do with him. Why is that so? Because Pilate, could, Pilate was not a priest. And if, he, if, if, if it was by his hand that Jesus died, then that sin offering would not have been legal. So he must have kept his hands off. The priest had to be the one to actually hand Jesus over, to actually instigate his death, to put him to death. Are you hearing? Let's look a little bit further. So again, uh, verse number 20, it says, But the chief priests and elders uh, persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So who again, who's the one who's, instit- who's um, uh, persuading the multitude? Who has the proverbial knife in their hand? Well, it's the chief priests. It's the elders, those that are qualified to offer a sacrifice. Not Pilate, not qualified by God to offer sacrifice. His hands must have been off. He had to take his hands off because God's not going to allow a man to mess this thing up. Are you hearing me? Let's look on. Uh, the governor answered and said unto them, uh, whether of the twine or which one of these will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say, they all say unto him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? See his conviction now. 
He says he's fighting for Jesus. He's fighting. He does not want Jesus to die because he knows Jesus is an innocent man. He knows that the innocent is about to die for the guilty. He doesn't know why, but he knows that Jesus is an innocent man. His wife has told him he's an innocent man. I've suffered many things, have nothing to do with him. And he asks, why? What evil had he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate see the devil just playing her all into God's hands, it's all into his hands. Oh, my goodness. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but, the, but rather a torment or, torment or mob was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See to it. So he even washes his hands. I got nothing to do with this. I am not a part of this sacrifice. I am not a part of this. I have no part in this. Great, Pilate, you're not supposed to. Hallelujah. Awesome. Because if Pilate had gotten involved in it, he's not a priest, not called of God, not under the Levitical priesthood. His presence in that sacrifice would have made it defiled. So he had to be out of it. That's wonderful. All right, now listen to listen what people said. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and they had, or rather, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered them, delivered him uh, to be crucified. So the people said, his blood be on us and our children. Oh, they didn't know what they're talking about. But I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus being upon us and our children. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The blood of sacrifice. The blood of sacrifice. The blood of redemption. The blood of forgiveness. The blood of healing. Now on us. Hallelujah. Spoken and prophesied and declared right there. The blood was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Your sins can never be forgiven unless blood is shed. Hallelujah. And so now his blood is about to be shed. The whole thing instigated by the priests. Hallelujah. The ones who are qualified by God, ordained by God to perform a sacrifice. Been doing it for a long time in the temple. For a long time at the altar, now here, they, now here they are at this big altar, so to speak. Where's the wood? Well, the wood is the cross. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I mean, so there's the Lord there. The knife was in their hand, so to speak. They were the ones who put him to death. And the people declared the word. His blood is now on us. Isn't that awesome? Amen. This is powerful. So, Again, the first mention of the word love in Scripture has to do with the Lamb of God, has to do with a a father giving his one and only son to die a sacrificial death. And then here in the New Testament brings it so close. The father said, in case you don't know who I'm talking about, the first instance of love in the New Testament has to do with Jesus being identified as the Lamb of God. He's the lamb that comes to take away the sins of the world. Awesome. And we see there, right there in the crucifixion process, this um, 
this whole crucifixion process, this whole um, offering process is legitimate, performed by the high priest. They're the ones who instigated it. And those who were not qualified, Pilate had to wash his hands of it. But now what has Jesus done? What has that sacrifice done? Let me show you this as we continue on 316 Love Road. Let's look at this. Let's go to 1 Peter. This is so thrilling, and I pray that you're thrilled about this too. 1 Peter, the second chapter. Look at verse 21 through 25. This will show you some things that Jesus has accomplished for you. And it says, for God called you to do good, even if it meant suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Look at verse 22. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. So Jesus shed his blood. The whole sacrificial process happened so that you could die to sin, so that the influence of sin over your life or your sin nature could be cut away from you. Hallelujah. So that you could be really be transformed to the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, going back to Barabbas. Barabbas' name means again, son of the father. So Barabbas the one that was guilty should have hung on the cross that day. There were three crosses that day, remember? Because they had an execution, public execution scheduled for three criminals. Three guilty people had already been judged by the Roman government. Three guilty. Barabbas was meant to hang there as well. But his name was highly prophetic. He was a known criminal, known to be guilty. And Jesus, no, to be innocent. The innocent took the place of the guilty on the cross so that the guilty could go free. And Barabbas that day was one happy man with his guilty self going away. Are you hearing? Now, Barabbas didn't have to do anything to pay for that. He just received it. He just received it. He didn't have to work to earn it. He didn't have to petition to earn it. Oh, all that was done for him. I'm sure when he heard the people say, crucify Jesus, he's like, oh yeah. Yeah, let me go free, yeah, yeah, let let me out, let let me out, crucify, yeah. He didn't have to do anything, he just had to receive. Jesus willingly took his place. He willingly took our place. Are you hearing me? Let me show you this again. Let me show you that again. And Colossians, the second chapter, Colossians, second chapter, verses 11 through 15. This is how it reads. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ 
performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Look at verse 13. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. I love 14. This makes you want to kick your leg out here. So get your legs ready. Get, just, 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 just get your legs ready. Here we go. If you're driving down the road right now, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Try to keep it hold. Try to hold it in the road. Verse 14 says, He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What does that mean? Every charge, everything the enemy could bring before you. Now, remember this picture of the courtroom again. The devil comes in as the prosecutor and says, I got a list of charges against them. They have been lying. They have cheated. They have been uh, sexually immoral. They have done all these things, God. This is why they ought to go straight to hell. This is why they ought to be doomed because of all these charges. All these charges against you. He comes up before God, the great judge, and he knows that God is a fair judge, he, that, that, uh, that he will rule justly. That's what God does. That's who he is. He is truth. And he knows that every, the devil knows every one of these charges against you is right. You did it. He has DNA evidence. He has the video, the paperwork, all of that stuff. So the devil says, I got it. How am I going to hurt you, God? I'm going to hurt you by hurting the ones that you love. So he comes before God with this record, this long rap sheet against you. And the father says, uh-huh, here's what I'm going to do. He says, I know I'm just and someone has to pay for those sins. So I'll send my son to pay for those sins. I'll take that long rap sheet that is against you. Give it to me, devil, and I will nail it to the body of Jesus on that cross. Hallelujah. Every one of your sins has now been paid for in the body of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Every one of them. That's why the Bible says that that, that God made an open shame of the devil. He thought he had us all wrapped up. He he thought he had us all tied up. God, he turned around and figured, oh, wow, I didn't know you were going to do that. God said, checkmate, gotcha. (laughs) You know, the devil just played right into God's hands. Now all those who receive, all humans that receive what Jesus has done, believe in him and trust in him, God said, I've already dealt with your record. I've already nailed it to the cross. It's done away with. It is non-existent. Hallelujah. And so he lavishes you with his love. Oh, that's awesome stuff. Are you hearing me? Let's look at one more here. Let's look at one more here. See, this is why every born again believer should live guilt-free. You should live guilt-free, shame-free, because every charge, everything, everything the devil can say and everything that you can say against yourself, 
Everything that we have believed about it, every negative thing that we believed about ourselves has already been nailed to the cross. Charges have been taken out of the way. Open show. He slapped him good. Pow. Are you hearing? Let's look at another. Let's look at this last one tonight. This is so so wonderful. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace tonight. We thank you for your great love. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for the expense that you paid for us. Thank you for Jesus. Mm. We thank you, Father. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse uh, 18 through 21. Listen to this. It says, and all of this is a gift from God. Who brought, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Okay, that's a kick out leg, that's a spin around. <laughs> That's a, I don't know what that is. I, I don't know how to feel right there. That's a big one. Are you hearing me? Let's read that again. Let's read that again. Verse 19 again. It says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this Wonderful message of reconciliation. Oh, my God. So here's the thing, and here's how many of us have gotten off over the years, off track, out of kelter. We go around telling people, you're a sinner. You're going to hell. You've done wrong. You've done wrong. You've done wrong. But wait, 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 wait a minute. When Jesus walked on the earth there as a man in his ministry, our example that we should follow, he didn't go around counting people's sins against them. He didn't go around pointing out, oh, you're so low down, dirty, something, something. No, he didn't give them a finger, he gave them a hand. Do you see that? Oh my God. He says again, verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him because he's already made arrangements for it. He's already made arrangements for it. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Why? Because everything is already done. It's already set. Now you just simply have to come back home. Thinking of the prodigal son. Did the prodigal son, when he got back home, did he have to do, any, do, did he have to do anything to earn the father's love? No, he just had to come back home. Everything was set. He just had to come back home. And from there, the Father takes you further. Let's look on. He says, uh, come back home. Verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned. One more time. For God made Christ who never sinned. One more time. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That says it all. 
He never sinned, never sinned. The ram there in the book of Genesis 22nd chapter didn't sin. What did, he, what, did, what did he do? I know sometimes they have cartoons with, with animals with, with something in their mouths, cigarettes or drinking and all that stuff or whatever. That ram didn't do anything. The ram was completely innocent. The ram was not at the club the night before. The ram was innocent, caught in the thicket. God placed him there in place of Isaac. God placed Christ there in place of you and I. He knew we couldn't do it. He knew we couldn't do it. He knew we would mess up again and again and again and again. The father said, I'm not counting your sins against you. I've made a way for those to be taken out of the way. And now what should we do in response? We should love him and be filled with his love and as you love, as you are loving the Father and allowing him to fill you with his love, he's changing you. You'll find that you'll have a love for the word. My God. You'll find you have a love for his word. You'll find that you have a love for his people. You'll find that your entire life begins to change. You'll find that you love serving him. That you love pleasing him. That you love honoring him you find that as love just goes all into your DNA, you won't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure how people say, well, I'm saved because I'm saved. I can go out and do whatever I want to do. Love doesn't say that. That's a sorry marriage if a husband says to his wife, well, honey, I married you, didn't I? Now I'm going out to go see this, this girl and that girl and that girl. Uh, you got a ring on your finger, don't you? What kind of mess is that? You say, oh, I'm saved, now I can do what I want to do. No, I would look again at your salvation. Amen. Because once love gets in there, you don't want to hurt him. You don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. You don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. So I pray that uh, you've gotten, really gotten something out of these, um, out of the series, the L word, love, and this will conclude the series. And I pray that even though this series is coming to a close, has come to a close, I pray that your experience with, with love, with God, with our Father, will continue on to a higher height and a deeper depth. Because really, over the past seven weeks, we've just skimmed the surface. There is so much more, so much more. So I would ask you, even in your private time, just sit for a while. Just sit there and just say, Father, I receive your love. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your love. Give him the opportunity to fill you with his love and realize that you are forgiven. Realize that you are accepted and realize that your father loves you more than you will ever know. Father, I pray for my friends here tonight and I pray for those that are listening right now and watching online. Lord, I pray that your love will become real to them and that they would experience the love of God that, like they've never had before. Father, I pray for the anointing of love to fill the place where they are right now. Fill this place. Let your Shekinah glory fill the place. And Lord, I pray if they have not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, that tonight that they will receive him. And my friend, if you haven't, just pray this simple prayer with me. 
If you realize that the Father loves you and you want to go home with him, I mean, you want to be in relationship with him, you finally realize that he's not mad at you. As a matter of fact, he's really mad about you. He's madly in love with you and has done so much for you. So if you want to receive him now as your Lord and Savior, receive Christ, then just pray the simple prayer with us. Just say, Father, I come to you as a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and I confess Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. I believe in you, Lord, and I confess you now. Help me to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer out of the sincerity of your heart, welcome to the family of God. It's really that simple. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And God said that he will save you. So thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you on the next broadcast. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Remember, if you would like to hear today's message in its entirety or hear the entire series, just go to our website at www.kingdomrock.org. That's kingdomrock.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast and get it on the go. And if you have a Roku device, make sure you search for Kingdom Rock TV. In there, you will find this program and so much more. We would also love to see you in a live service. Just go to our website to get the details at www.kingdomrock.org. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way.